Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 130 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we got a pretty exciting one. Um, as we mentioned last week, it was Antonio Conte that was the hot man for Manchester United. Turns the how the tables have turned is now Antonio Conte is now the Spurs manager um, by the fact that Manchester United beat Spurs, Liverpool dropping some points, Arsenal on a pretty big run right now, especially with the performances they've been having from their goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale. But uh, before we officially get started, we wanted to mention, um, you know, as we mentioned before, uh, both Tyler and I graduated from University of Georgia. So we are from Georgia. And what recently happened, uh, so we're recording this on November 4th. What happened on, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Um, Atlanta Braves, they won the World Series, beat the Houston Astros in um, a six-game series, um, beat them three to two. And they... As some people will say, lifted the sports course, but as we like to mention, Atlanta United actually did that in 2018 when they won the MLS Cup uh, championship led by Joseph Martinez, Miguel Almiron, you know, Tata Martino, that legendary team in MLS. So, you know, Atlanta sports team's doing pretty well. UGA currently undefeated on their way, hopefully if they continue winning, on their way to eventually getting to the national championship game and hopefully winning there. So maybe this is the turn of the tide when it comes to Atlanta sports teams being consistently good and um, performing at a very high level as we see all these other sports teams do. Yeah, and to give some background for what the Atlanta sports team curse is, is that Atlanta always has this this knack of getting a huge lead, like a 3-1 series lead or a huge lead in a Super Bowl, like 28-3, something like that. And then they always blow it. Like some way, somehow... From some stroke of miracle from the other team or just sheer bottling it, Atlanta teams always <laughs> soil it. it. Yeah, they smurse it. And that's Atlanta sports team's curse has been ongoing since like 1995 when the last time an Atlanta sports team won, which is yeah, the Braves. Braves. Way um, back, that's man. when they won the, the World Series last time. And that curse has been hitting every single team in Atlanta from, you know, the Braves, the Falcons, UGA, and Atlanta United, we, we claim that they were the first ones to finally win a trophy and bring a trophy to Atlanta. But some people were like, oh, that doesn't count. Yeah. It's like it's MLS. It's, it's also like disrespect. a new team. Disrespect. Like, That's disrespect. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, I feel like they were the ones that lifted Even that, it. So like, I'm claim. That, that, that itself was more impressive. The fact that it was a new team within like a two years won the MLS Cup championship. It's crazy. Exactly. So we're Aww. just going to claim that. And despite that, you know, I know the Braves had a rough, NC or NCLS in 2020. So people mm-hmm. were like, oh, it's still there. But I don't know, man. I still would say Atlanta United lifted it, but it's officially now, no matter what. Yeah. The, the, the curse is lifted mm-hmm. with the Braves winning. So that's the baseball team, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> curse is gone. So we wanted to mention that, mention that and, you know, give a shout out to the Braves and um, all of our other Georgia sports fans that are out there listening to us. Um, but I guess to get, Things started like moving into the officially into the pod. Um, the big news was that Antonio Conte uh, Spurs have hired the big man, um, probably the best man, the best free agent manager out in the market um, during the season was Antonio Conte. They hired him, signed him to a deal till 2023. And what's interesting with that is that Jose Mourinho and Maurizio Pochettino and Nuno uh, have actually all signed deals up until to be their Spurs manager up until 2023. But obviously, as we know, Pochettino got sacked. Mourinho got sacked. 
and Nuno got sacked. So maybe Conte can actually live out the contractual terms of this one. I don't know. It seems like Spurs just want to sack the guy before they get to 2023, but we'll see. But this is a a big hire for uh, Tottenham because, as we mentioned last week, all the rumors were kind of circulating that um, Manchester United were going to be the team to hire Antonio Conte. Um, it looked like that was going what was going to happen on Monday, um, this past Monday. But then as the week kind of went by, basically the re- reports was that Solskjaer had three, three games to save his job. But as we know, when Manchester United and Tottenham met in that game on Sunday where Manchester United actually ended up beating Spurs uh, 3-0, or excuse me, on Saturday, beating them 3-0, essentially that just sealed the fate for Nuno. If anyone watched that game, that whole crowd was very toxic. It just genuinely looked like they didn't care about the team. The players, honestly, themselves didn't look like they could try. Um, Harry Kane just kind of looked like he was walking around. They didn't really care about what was going around. And Nuno, poor guy, like, yeah, you know, kind of, I I feel like he was almost like a boxer punching above his weight class, in a sense, if that was a good analogy right there for Nuno, because Nuno, he did a really good job with Wolves, leading them to, you know, I I believe back-to-back top half finishes in the Premier League, coming in in his debut season in the Premier League and kind of shocking the Premier League, in a sense, with Raul Jimenez, Diego Jota, Adama Traore, you know, Willy Bali, like all these players that have kind of been... Um, I would say consistent names in the Premier League for the past couple of seasons, they came under Nuno and Nuno helped create kind of the aura around them and around the Wolves side. But yeah, it was unfortunate because Nuno, his tactics as he was a Wolves manager, it was very much sit back, hit them on the counter attack, absorb pressure, and then kind of, you know, have that underdog mentality. And yeah, Spurs in a sense are still kind of the underdogs when you think of the biggish clubs of England, when you think of Liverpool, United, um, Arsenal. But in recent seasons, Tottenham have been kind of punching in that class of, you know, consistently getting in the top four, maybe challenging for a title. Um, obviously, they got to the Champions League final a couple seasons back. So just Nuno's tactics, his, you know, type of presence and aura, it, it just never was a good fit. And unfortunately, he kind of paid the price for it where Tottenham, he was Tottenham's like almost seventh place or seventh choice coach. He ends up getting hired and he gets the sack, you know, in before November comes. So unfortunate for him. Hopefully he can kind of find his um, feet back into a club that fits his style and that actually wants him and appreciates him. But for Tottenham, just the hire was never going to work out because it two opposite styles of what the club wanted. I feel like for Nuno, he stepped away from that classic formation that he had that classic setup they had at Wolves, which is usually the three in the three. back. He played like then, a back four here. Yeah, he always went with like a 4-3-3 or like a 4-2-3-1. It, it was like a lot different. It was mm-hmm. something where it was newsworthy as much as Ole putting three in the back for <laughs> once. It's like, what was he doing? And then he consistently did it. And, and at the beginning, it looked like it was a good switch. It's like, oh, maybe this is what he wanted the whole time. But at Wolves, he didn't maybe have the right personnel. He didn't have the right players. But I mean, ultimately, it didn't really work out at Spurs. So... He was, I would say, punching above his weight class because, you know, he came from Wolves and he was on paper a really decent manager for a Wolves team, you know, putting him in the top half of the table, even without Rahul Jimenez for yeah. that whole second season. Fabio so, Silva, striker. <laughs> that was that was a questionable transfer, but I mean, even then, they're still doing all right and they're still I mean, in the Premier League. he made Adama Traore a consistent player. Like, no other manager has been able to get the usage out of him in terms of the amount of assists and goals he was scoring that one season where he was on fire. 
or you just basically turn Adama into a good winger. Um, the, the the birth of the baby oil in the arms, <laughs> Adama Torre, like he brought him to light. Yeah. Even when Adama was on like Middlesbrough or like Barcelona, just not as happening. much headliners. Even Aston Villa yeah. wasn't happening. Exactly. Yeah. So and even Ruben, it's Neves, ironic. Ruben Neves, <laughs> yeah. João Martinho, like all the Portuguese players in the Premier League, all thanks to Nuno. That Portuguese it's, connection. Yeah, he brought all of Portugal to <laughs> that one Wolves team. It was like a mini Portugal. And yeah. You know how like cities have like little Italy, like Koreatown. It's like yeah, that's <laughs> like mini Portugal. Portugal. Town. <laughs> yeah, mini yeah, little Portugal over there. But I mean, despite all that, it was a little ironic that the the manager they got to replace him, Spurs replaced Nuno with Antonio Conte, mm-hmm. who is as you can guess, a three-in-the-back kind of yeah. manager. And they played Patisse today in the Europa, Conf- Europa Conference League, yeah. which is still like a mouthful to say and just <laughs> still weird to even say that it's an actual competition. Yeah. But uh, they faced the old team, Patisse, where all Chelsea players, loan players, that get sent historically. <laughs> but uh, Tottenham won 3-2 there. And guess guess what the formation was for this, this game for Tottenham? three. Yes. Well, what do you think it was in terms of like the full formation? I think like because I was watching it, I think it ended up being like a three-five-two, right? Son and Kane, or like it was like three-four-three with like Mora, Kane, and Son basically playing as like a trio up top, and then yeah. Yeah. it was uh, like Dyer. It was like Regulon as a wing back, Emerson Royale as the other wing back, and then he had Dyer, uh, Christian Romero, and then. Was it Davidson Sanchez, the other center back, right? It was Davies. Davies. But then you got Davidson it, came in. Yeah. So it was, and it was interesting too, because when I was watching it, Harry Winks um, and Oliver Skip got the got the start in the midfield because, you know, there was a lot of jokes that when Conte got hired, like Endombele and Deli Ali were like, it, they made jokes that they were like the really scared kids when Conte starts yelling at them to fetch water uh, because, you know, historically those two players have kind of been under the um, under scrutiny of all the managers they've been under in terms of being a little bit lazy, not really giving their all all the time. And you kind of have to really push them to get the most out of them in terms of like their work rate. So very interesting to see that he went with almost like two workmen or three workmen like midfielders with Hoiberg, Oliver Skip and um, Harry Winks in the Europa Conference League. I don't know if that's going to stick because I don't think there's enough creativity there, but very interesting that he went with those guys instead of maybe a more talented Deli Ali or Endombele in there. Yeah, you definitely did your homework. It was a 3-4-3. And I didn't <laughs> I watch, to watch the game. Just, so I oh, yeah, you I, have to watch the game for yeah. your actual job. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't voluntarily watch a Spurs game in, in the Europa Conference League. <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm surprised. <laughs> I was like, oh, you have to watch by force. It's like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair play. But, I mean, this is classic Antonio Conte. It's like a preview of what the rest of the season is going to look like. Just three, four threes. And usually he does bring the most out of his front strikers and wingers because that's also something that's been kind of hindering Spurs at the beginning of the season where they only have one main person that's getting the goals, and it's Hyung yeah, Son. Son. Yeah, and all, all about like Harry Son. Kane. He's like, just where walking is he around. Doing? Like, he's Harry Kane literally around. is just like, <laughs> he's just walking around. He's like, I'm done. This is my last year. He's a senioritis. So, <laughs> like, Sun's literally just carrying right now. And yeah. even then, he can't do it all most of the times. But under Antonio Conte, you know, he's not going to take no BS. Like, yeah. And, no and melee. I, the, there, were, there was actually reports that Kane was really excited to work under Conte because 
it makes sense. Conte is a, a world class manager that's gotten the best out of Diego Costa. Um, uh, you know, Romelu. He basically transferred Romelu Lukaku's career, turned it into like an actual superstar when his career looked like it was dwindling for a little bit. Transformed him, and you know, for Kane, maybe he can kind of revitalize kind of that that energy and that spark that he needs, you know, to be that world class player again right now. It's true. He does need that target man under Antonio Conte, his classic formation that he sets up. He kind of revolves around that one central striker. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, Harry Kane is like, you can't really say too much. He's like, you know, maybe that is enough to convince him to stay a little longer at Spurs, but probably not. <laughs> and for him, maybe he's like, all right, this is my this is my ticket. This is my way it's like to kind of show off a little bit more right before I go, you know, get some more monies in the wages <laughs> that get the better contract. Who knows, but I think that's what's going to happen. And under Antonio Conte, I really am going to hop on your train of like, I don't think he's going to take anything from any of those lazy players like Deli Ali <laughs> and Dumbelli. I don't know if they're going to be playing. Like, I know Deli Ali's, his ego is pretty high and would get him put on the bench. Like, I don't think he would kind of change, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I feel like he is who he is. And like, that's. That's what you're going to get. Yeah. But for Ndombele, <laughs> hmm, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe uh, Antonio Conte might be that spark that he needs to kind of get back into that starting 11 because at this rate, unless he does change, he's he's basically a bench warmer for the rest of the season. Yeah. And Ndombele is like a really weird one because you remember his initial season when he signed for Spurs, everyone was kind of hyped about like, oh, who is this midfielder? He's like coming from France, like Ligue 1. Like he's supposed to be like this really creative, like, you know, kind of – Almost Paul Pogba, you know, the, I wouldn't say off-brand version, but almost like Paul Paul Pogba-esque when he can make the passes. He's very silky on the ball, uh, very technical. But, you know, he kind of struggled that first season. Then Mourinho comes in and then he has a big fallout with Mourinho during that first half of that season. And then he comes back last season for the beginning half and he just looks like a completely brand new player committed. And then once Mourinho was fired, it's just kind of like, he kind of faded away again. And now maybe Conte can kind of bring out that fire in him to do well, maybe like a Hazard type where we've seen where Hazard, if he's very unmotivated with the manager, you know, his performances tend to dip. But when he is motivated to be the best in the world with the likes with Mourinho in his first season and then Conte in his first season, you see like how good Hazard can be. Maybe maybe he can get a little bit of Endombele, but I don't know. I, I just don't know if Endombele has got the drive to do it. It's ironic also that Ndombele, where, you know, he's kind of known to also be like a lazy creative player. And (laughs) the second they bring in a manager like Jose Mourinho, who's not really the creative type, the one who just kind of, you know, sits back and just parks the bus and Mm -hmm. then, you know, just beats you a defense like he struggles. And then he brings in another manager where now if Antonio Conte is like, oh, he's lazy. So it's like he might struggle (laughs) again. So that's a, a key to all professional players don't be lazy yeah and you know adapt to whoever your manager is i mean your manager also should also adapt to who you are personnel personnel to kind of like coach you but yeah same time i to be the best you got to be able to adapt to wherever yeah. and whoever one, one player i'm actually i know for a fact like kane and son are going to thrive in this system because you know that's they're just world-class players they're obviously going to thrive under any manager but I'm actually pretty excited to see what Lucas Mora can do because Lucas Mora, low key, has been a 
kind of a mad player ever since, you know, he joined PSG, he had all the hype that he was supposed to be, you know, up there with the Neymars of the world being like a very young skill for a winger on the Brazilian national team, a lot of potential, but just never really lived up to it. And when he joined Spurs, I was actually really excited that like, oh, you know, maybe he can kind of revitalize his career. And he's had moments. I think his best moment obviously has been the sending them to the Champions League final. Those that, I think it was a hat trick against Ajax in the, um, in the second leg of the Champions League semifinal. But Apart from that, he hasn't really done much. And essentially, all he does is kind of run around and maybe every now and again gets a shot off. But I feel like a manager like Conte can get the most out of him because he's also already a player that likes working hard and runs around. But I feel like maybe he can help kind of unlock that creative side to him and get more of those goals and assists because if they can do that, that's actually, you know, not a bad trio of Son, Kane, and Lucas Mora. That's... That's actually that's not too bad of a trio right there, if you can get them all it's, clicking. It's good, especially if you can get Lucas Moore there, because I know the other two, Kane and Son, they have proven quality mm-hmm. to consistently do it every single season. Yeah, but for Lucas Moura, as you've been saying, he reminds me a lot about like Alexandre Pato back yeah. in the day, <laughs> or like Usman Dembele right now. Yeah, where there's just so much potential there. It's like, oh, this this player has that. He's on the edge of exploding to be the next, you know, big talent. Like mm-hmm. he has all the the technical skills, has all the ability, but it's just something holds him back. Whether it be injuries, just not being able to perform and translate all the the skills and everything onto the pitch. Yeah, or maybe just lack of opportunities because you know you're also at Spurs. <laughs> it's like <laughs> can't really carry a team too much. It's just mm-hmm. been like Cannon Sun show for the past several seasons. But that one season where he kind of did carry in the Champions League it kind of showed who he could be but I feel like even back in the days the potential he had he was better than he is now like when he was like 22 23 still playing for I forgot what Brazilian team it was on yeah I I I I, I can see I can picture it in my head but I just I don't know it was Santos I think it was someone uh, else check later yeah (laughs) now I have to know but basically (laughs) It's uh, when he was on PSG, like that was like that first big move. And I was Mm -hmm. like, all right, maybe this is where, you know, he'll rise and get a little bit more clinical and finishing. Maybe he'll adapt more and like increase his passing, like his abilities, things like that. But Mm -hmm. he never really. Sao Paulo. Okay. Yeah. There we go. And like, I feel like since his days at Sao Paulo, he hasn't really improved too much since. Yeah. Like it's almost like the carbon copy. You can copy paste his card from like FIFA 11 or all the <laughs> stats and things from FIFA 11. It's all the same. It's all the same. Like he's been like the same player for like the past seven, eight years, yeah. which is insane. So, you know, maybe he might be a late bloomer like Jamie Vardy, but right now they, he, he needs an Antonio Conte or something just to like kind of kick him in the butt and be like, all right, you got to get this potential out of you. Cause it's like, you're, you're, you're on your last strings, mate. Yeah. You're like in your prime. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, and I, it was not coming. Now it's never coming. Yeah, and I know a lot of Spurs fans have kind of been frustrated because they they know the potential, but he just doesn't perform. But you know, like 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 I said, I'm excited for Lucas Moore, but I think like Steven Bergwijn would be an interesting you know case study as well to see what happens with him under Antonio Conte. Yeah, um, the forgotten man. Yeah, basically at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's a forgotten man. But it's going to be really interesting to see what he does with these Spurs players because I feel like. You know, compared to his other jobs recently, you know, he had Chelsea, he had Inter Milan, he had Juventus, he had the Italy, like Euro 2016. 
he's been at clubs that kind of have the financial flex muscle to kind of purchase, you know, I, I wouldn't say Inter Milan have a ton of money because obviously they're kind of in a bad financial situation right now. They sold that. That's why they had to sell a lot of the big players. But, you know, when it, when it come, came to a club like Chelsea, he kind of had, you know, those big superstars there. But with Tottenham, you know, really, you know, you're only looking at Son, Kane and Lloris as your three solidified, I would say, superstars, you know, genuinely speaking. The other guys on that team are kind of in the realm of almost being mediocre or just above mediocre, kind of average or a little bit above average. Um, and Antonio Conte, to his credit, has gotten the most out of some of those players before. I know with Chelsea, he brought back David Luiz and basically that, you know, that season they won the Premier League, David Luiz was one of the best defenders in the Premier League. He was unplayable. He was so good. He re- kind of revitalized Cesar, Cesar Aspilicueta's um, career, kind of get kind of got him kick-started. Um, so, you know, he's been known to kind of get the most out of certain players. So I'm interested to see what happens. And that kind of leads into the next question. Will he finally break the Spurs trophyless drought? Because the last time they won a trophy, I believe, was in 2008. And what was interesting was the day he got hired was exactly 5,000 days the last time Spurs won a trophy. So do you think he has what it takes to actually break the curse? Because their best chance, honestly, is the Europa Conference League or an FA Cup run. And I, I think they're still in the EFL Cup. I think. Um, but for sure, you have uh, like the Conference League or FA Cup to win a trophy. Do you think they can actually do it this season? 5,000 days. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a long day. That's, lo- that's a long time. <laughs> that's, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I will mention because there will be someone who will tell me. It's like they did win the F- the Audi oh. Cup. Oh, yeah. The Continental <laughs> If that counts for anything, they won the Audi the preseason Cup. trophy, the preseason trophy. But I mean, at the same time, if they win the Europa Conference League, I feel like that's almost the same category as the Audi Cup. <laughs> they, I will and say I, they are in the EFL Cup. They are in the EFL Cup still. Okay. They play West Ham. A domestic cup, though, is a different story. I feel like, you know, the FA Cup is like the longest running domestic trophy i think in all of europe right now mm-hmm. and you know like winning that would definitely get him kick-started and i would count that as an actual legit trophy and the efl cup a little a little under that but yeah but for still, a team like spurs that, that hasn't won in a long time that's a big deal yeah that would be a big trophy deal. so i i would say conte he probably would focus on one of these two because you know although you obviously would try to focus on top four you know this would be an easy way into europa league or something and then kind of work your way up from how like Liverpool did it also like, you know, Liverpool weren't in competitions when Klopp came in, like they were only at domestic league cups, like FA cup, EFL cup, cause everyone else is in them. Like the March madness of <laughs> the, <laughs> all of English divisions in soccer, but they weren't in Europa league. They weren't in champions league. So, you know, this would be a good way to get Spurs back into that realm, back into that kind of groove of getting into and competing for consistently for European competition. And that's kind of crazy to say because literally two years ago, they're in the Champions League final. Yeah. And now it's like, all right, it's time to rebuild. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to get back into that. Well, how the, I mean, it was kind of surprising that they're in the first place, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's not like a complete miracle. Like you mm-hmm. could see that it could happen, but now it's like, man, it would definitely be insane if they were yeah. to make it in. So kind of getting that idea where it's like, all right, it's not that crazy they can get in. 
and kind of putting those building blocks into the system mm-hmm. of Spurs and kind of giving them that hope again just for them to fall eventually. But yeah, getting that back in is definitely crucial. So you think they? You think he will? Oh yeah, I sure I answered that question. <laughs> I think he'll win. I, w- I would say FA Cup. I feel like this he'll season, have, or do you think it would take him next season at least? I think he'll do it this season. Like oh, he's wow. one of those like given that he was also a Chelsea manager. You know, Chelsea you don't get that much time at Chelsea. You get like two years yeah. typically, if not less. And I mean, if you don't win a two trophy, years, that's all you got. Yeah. So if like, and usually if you don't win a trophy in that time within like the first year you're out and then by second year even if you win a trophy they just kick you out anyway <laughs> it's like reverse Watford <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would say EFL comes a little too soon and you know Thomas Tuchel did at Chelsea like they won the Champions League in like half a season but you know that Chelsea's squad was insane in terms of the level of talent they did have and also just Thomas Tuchel I feel like is a slightly better manager than Conte in my opinion but Ooh. Ooh, <laughs> hot take. But for Conte, I feel like with a Spurs side, I don't think any manager can really, you know, get it on the first try. But I think under a little bit more time, just a few more months, it was just a big difference. I think he could possibly make an FA Cup run because mm-hmm. they also have nothing else to play for. But unless they get far in the Europa Conference League, which is not too crazy, but I, I feel like <laughs> it's the Europa <laughs> Conference League. Like, the only other team notable that's in it I can really think of is like Roma and Roma just lost to like some random Norwegian team 6-0 yeah. like a couple weeks ago too. So I'm like, all right, no one really cares about this. Jose Mourinho is <laughs> already like, all right, whatever. So I think FA Cup would probably be the biggest thing. So yes, I would say yeah. he can probably do it. Yeah, I will say yes as well. I think he will somehow manage to win a trophy. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I think like, I think with under Conte, I think he'll find a way because he's at the, I would say he's at probably the peak of his managerial powers in terms of like how good he is and the confidence he has. He, I think he's definitely going to get really close and I think he probably will end up winning one with, uh, with Spurs. So Spurs fans, like, I don't know how you guys did it, but you guys somehow walked away with one of the best managers in the world. Um, so kudos to them, but, uh, moving on to the Spurs Manchester United game. I know we mentioned that before in a sense, what, what is there to be talked about in that game? It was, a game that it looked like really like both sides looked really out of confidence. Both sides were kind of scared to lose and they were both were kind of playing not to lose and United essentially just had more quality on the pitch when you have Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandez and the likes of them. That's essentially what won United the game. Cause I don't think they played all too well. Um, there were times they looked a little controlling, but they did try out the new back three system that Solskjaer put out um, that he did play a little bit during his first season at the club where he would kind of save for the really big matchups because of the lack of players and the lack of, you know, essentially players that we had. We didn't have too many players of our disposal and it kind of kept us a little bit more compact. But he went for that lineup because, you know, the United team were getting split open way too much. So he went for a more com- compact lineup, started Bruno and Ronaldo um, and Cavani up top. And, you know, it did well for them. Cavani scored. Um, Ronaldo scored a brilliant goal. So it was an overall, like, you know, decent day for United. But unfortunately, in the Champions League midweek, um, a game against Atalanta that they drew 2 2, um, Rafael Varane went down injured. Um, so it looks like the back three probably won't stay. They'll have to go back to a back four. But there was a report that came out uh, a couple of days ago that actually, I, I mentioned this before, but Harry Maguire, he was actually rushed back um, into playing, you know, 
into the starting 11. Uh, he was injured against Aston Villa and then he was rushed back to get for that game against Leicester City. And that's kind of been one of the reasons why he why he's been playing so badly ever since he's come back is because he didn't really get a chance to regain his full fitness. And essentially, whatever happened to Rafael Varane, I feel like was the same thing happened to Maguire. Varane was uh, rushed back too soon from his injury. But I think this is kind of a... It's also, it's an indictment on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer not really managing the squad properly, but also an indictment, I guess, with what we've been talking about before, where the amount of games that all these players are playing is starting to catch up to a lot of these players. Um, and we've seen stories and we've seen interviews of players taking, you know, you know, pain injections just so they can get through the next match of, you know, you know, just essentially like numbing the pain in their bodies to like, you know, fight through the pain so they can continue to play. And, you know, then you have talks of FIFA trying to do a biannual World Cup. These these guys are just playing way too many games. And I think we're seeing that the pressure that these managers are in, that they're willing to sacrifice some of these players' bodies to basically kind of keep their job alive. And that's the sad part because, you know, I think these players definitely need the rest to, like, relax and also to get their bodies back flowing again. But the amount of international, it's like almost we're getting an international break every four weeks and they're constantly playing in these tournaments, World Cup qualifiers. And then you have all these matches in the league, in the Champions League. It's just all kind of piling up on everyone. And I think it's been a big problem for every squad. I know Liverpool dealt with it last year where all their players just kept getting injured no matter what. And Man City have dealt with the issue as well. Arsenal have felt with the problem. You know, Chelsea have had injuries as well. Manchester United are struggling with injuries. Real Madrid had a ton of injuries last season. Barcelona dealing with injuries. I mean, every top club is essentially dealing with so many injuries. And I feel like that's a little bit to do with the amount of games that are being, you know, kind of crammed in every single season. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, I mean, we've talked about it before, but it's unfortunate that it's starting to hit players really hard right now. And, you know, players' performances are starting to drop off because of that. It's really interesting, actually, when I was listening to a kind of segment from Shannon Sharp, who's like a former NFL player. And he kind of mentioned, like, when you're a professional player, you will kind of live with some pains and aches and like, I guess, quote unquote injuries throughout your entire career. Cause like, you know, that comes with sports. Like when you play any sport, you will pick up like an injury. Like it's basically guaranteed. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you'll get a bruise here and there. You might accidentally break a bone, unfortunately, or it's like, you know, some people might tear a muscle or mm -hmm. tendon, things like that. But like, I would say consistently throughout a season, you'll get like, you know, bumps and scrapes and bruises throughout it. And like, you'll, that's something you kind of live with. Even like, you know, when we played for fun, like a UJ, like people like, you know, <laughs> sprain an ankle or like, <laughs> you know, pull a muscle, things like that. And that's something you kind of just live with throughout the entire season. And that's something kind of compounded in the professional world with, you know, Premier League and all the other leagues in soccer, because, you know, although they have the physical like fitness teams and like the coaches and like modern medicine has you know grown a lot since you know like the beginning of sports like in the early 1900s mm -hmm. they definitely are better equipped to recover after games you know they jump into ice baths they go into like those cryogenic chambers and you know recover all like the muscles that were just on like they're basically just completely hot for like 90 minutes and then it's like all right time to cool everything down kind of recover the muscles stop them from being swollen and like all that mm -hmm. and like they can do it in, week in and week out but i mean over time eventually you still have to kind of deal with those kind of scrapes and bruises and just continuous bombarding of your body just oh like week in and week out 
And for Manchester United, you know, that ultimately shows like they will get to a certain point where it's too much for the players or like they can't even handle these injuries and they have to sit out. And that's like what's happening with Maguire and Varane right now. Because like Maguire, he's just fighting it through. But now he's like, all right, I... (laughs) It's it, it's too painful, and then Bavaran, you know, he had a slight injury proneness at Real Madrid. Maybe that's why they kind of let him go. But at the same time, you know, this is kind of detrimental to Antonio. I was going to say Antonio Conte's plan, but it's Solskjaer's copy of Antonio Conte's plan, where it's like, all right, we're just going to do three in the back. Mm-hmm. But now, like that kind of changes plans entirely. To now possibly go back to four in the back, just so that you can bring back the right and left back to kind of help with the defense, but. Hmm. I don't know. It's not like there's anyone that can come in to replace Maguire or Varane, but two, because like that was kind of the question we kind of asked before. It was like, you know, if Conte did come in, who would they play in the three? It's like, would Bailly come back? Would Bill Jones come back from the grave? Like something like that? Would some yeah. random youth player get promoted? Would well, Brandon I mean, the reason they, they didn't go back three against Atalanta was that Lindelof picked up a knock in training. So he was actually a little bit hurt. And I don't know if he'll be ready for the Manchester Derby this weekend. But Bailly is fit. But there's always a question mark around Bailly about whether he can stay fit and how consistent he can stay fit. Because there's whenever he's playing, there's always a concern that he can just pick up a knock or an injury in the middle of the game and you have to sub him out. And that's, you know, not what you want as a manager to have always your center back be so injury prone. But... um I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what Manchester United do because I don't. They don't have the personnel right now to do the back three. They just don't have enough bodies there to do it. Um, but if they play a back four, they've just been consistently way too open. And I think, uh, you know, the, the game against Atalanta, they tried playing Pogba um, with. Excuse me. They tried playing Pogba with uh, Scott McTominay in the midfield too, and Paul Pogba kind of had a really bad game where he was just giving the ball away way too frequently not really confident with his decision-making. And essentially, like, you know, that's the thing. Paul Pogba is not a, you know, kind of pivot player where he can play as, a, you know, a central defensive midfielder. That's not his type of game. You know, that's not where you get the best out of Paul Pogba. The best way you get out of Paul Pogba is kind of letting him be a free-roaming midfielder. But in this day and age, like, how many... The way teams press and the way, you know, you have to coordinate pressing and also, you know, work around and off the ball. How many teams can really afford having a player that just thrives on essentially being a free roaming midfielder not very often i don't think any top team in europe can really afford to have that type of player they'd much rather have players that fit their system properly and i don't know if paul pogba can play he, he just can't play in that midfield too so you know whether he goes back with mech fred to kind of solidify the midfield but we saw against liverpool that when he tried to do that um, even if you do, do just play McFred, you have to have other players working with them to help track the ball and you know win the ball back. You can't just have those two kind of running around and doing their thing because good teams will be able to work around them and basically pick them off. Um, so I, I don't know what they're going to do. I think you know the fact that Manchester United weren't confident enough to go for Conte makes me believe that they're probably not going to make a a managerial change. I think they're just going to want to ride out Solskjaer and see what happens, but. I think, you know, any Manchester United fan can tell you and pretty much any any person that just watches United consistently can just tell you that this team does not look very unison in terms of what they're trying to accomplish because, you know, when I look at the top managers when it came to Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Antonio Conte, you know, we've talked about this before, um, some of the other top managers in the world, 
you know exactly the type of system and the type of style they want to play consistently. And yeah, they may tinker with it every now and again. You know, they may switch out some players or they may change up the formation a little bit. But in general, they're still going to press the same way. They're still going to play the same way. They're still going to, you know, make make those patterns, make those like, you know, triangular movements. But with Solskjaer, it's almost a lottery ticket of like, what are you going to get each week? Are you going to get a Manchester United team that's going to sit back and absorb pressure? Or are you going to get a team that's going to try to press and play on the front foot? Or are you going to try to get a team that plays with the back three and tries to overload the midfield? Are you going to get a team that, you know, what are you going to get? There's not too consistency. And that's what I was afraid of was that, yeah, we beat Spurs, but we beat Spurs with a totally new system that Solskjaer barely plays. I How... Does that give you confidence that he can just turn this around in the middle of the season doing that because he has no prior experience doing it? So it's almost they're just kind of it's been the problem this whole season is they're just winning games off the cuff. And yeah, you you can get the points. You can, you know, get points every now and again, beat some teams. But the defense is too leaky. They're winning games off the cuff. And, you know, when they play the big boys in Europe, they're going to get caught out because you can't win games like that. You just can't win games being that open and just kind of praying that your big players will just do something that gets you back in the game. And that's kind of what Solskjaer's motto has been is just that his big players have kind of bailed him out when he needs them to. It's, it reminds me a lot, like kind of funny enough to like coding where it's like, if you (laughs) figure out something by accident, you don't know why, but it just works. It's almost as worse as not being able to figure it out. Cause like, you know, it works, but you don't know why. And like, you know, it's something's going right, but it's like, I, I don't know what I did to make it work. And that's basically Manchester United right now. They beat a Spurs side in El Saki Oko, which is like last <laughs> week's the basically Spurs versus Manchester United, where it's is Nuno going to get sacked or is Solskjaer going to get sacked? And I guess that the team that ultimately lost sacked the manager and got the Conte. And that's yeah. basically what happened. So that kind of was not the best result. That's almost like beating Norwich at this point where it's just like, you know, of course, whoever beats the others, like, of course it's going to happen. But yeah. now it's like Manchester United. It's like, all right, we, we got a dub, but we don't know why. <laughs> it's like, it looks <laughs> like a three in the back might work. But then you saw like, we're just right back to the next game right after that. Atalanta, 2-2 draw. It's like, all right, back to, back to that meme where it's like that dog being stuck in that room that's completely on fire. It's like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> it's like, what are we going to do? So now it's also too late. It's like now Conte's somewhere else. They they basically missed the bus. Mm-hmm. And they're, I feel like they are kind of stuck with Solskjaer for the rest of the season because I was thinking about it now. I was like, who else really would be available? Like Una Emery, I think he's probably going to go to Newcastle according to the rumors right now. And yeah. you don't really want Unai. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I think- Eric DeHong is... He's not coming until next year. So I think you just basically ride it out. Like this three match, you know, thing to save Solskjaer's career. It became like a one match thing because it's like, now nah, who are they going to get? They got yeah, no one I, else. You know, maybe the hope is that they can get, you know, I remember when City signed Pep Guardiola, they actually signed him in the middle of the season. But um, Pellegrini was still their manager, but it was essentially... They announced him in the middle of the season and then Pellegrini was just going to ride out the rest of that season as their manager. I feel like mm. maybe something like that can happen, but I I just hope the board can see that, you know, Solskjaer is a good man. You know, he's helped Manchester United through a really tough period in terms of transitioning towards becoming a pretty consistent player back in, like, you know, getting back to being consistent. But 
you know, I've talked about this before, um, and a lot of Manchester United fans have just kind of hit the, you know, kind of the last straw with Solskjaer because it's just very obvious that, you know, when it comes to the elite managers, he doesn't really stack up and it's, you know, he's kind of failing at that point of be, you know, kind of taking that next step and being consistent because that's essentially what Manchester United fans want. They just want the team to play consistent and, you know, have a consistent style of play, consistent style of, you know, winning and just be completely dominant in a game. And there was a tweet from a Manchester United, like I guess, fan account that said that he can't remember the last time Manchester United won back-to-back games playing, like being in a, like just basically back-to-back games, winning them in a dominant style of play. Because if you think about it, a lot of the times we've won under Solskjaer, it's just we go one nil down or we go two nil down, find a way to come back, playing off the cuff. It's never been, hey, we start the game really well. We finish the game really well. We, you know, we win all 90 minutes of the game, beat them 2-0, repeat it again, beat them 3-0. That's what Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, those are what those managers are doing. But with Solskjaer, you just don't get that. You're probably going to get something where you go 1-1 and you win 2-1. You go 1-0 down, you win 2-1. You go 2-0 down, you finish, you find a way to make it 2-2. It's never been a very consistent, dominant style of play. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully the United board can see that and kind of move from there. But it's kind of the same old problems at Manchester United. I feel like it's just going to be kind of the circus that's going to keep going on this whole season. But with Liverpool, I um, I didn't call the scoreline, but I did call Brighton um, scoring at least one goal at Anfield. But uh, they true. actually ended up escaping. Brighton got a 2-2 draw at Anfield, which is crazy because Liverpool actually went 2-0 up. Um, and they somehow managed to concede two goals. But that's credit to Graham Potter's side because... You know, that's how good they've been this season. Graham Potter has got Brighton playing really, really good stuff this season. Yeah, literally, (laughs) that's just my reaction to this. Like literally (laughs) watching this. The first goal from Brighton, I will say, is very lucky. Like it was was a cross shot. Yeah, (laughs) a shot that was supposed to be a cross that just went over Allison's head. And it was also with Allison looking at the sun. So you didn't really get to see it till like the last two seconds when the ball is already over his head. So the second goal, though, I will say Brian did slice up the defense, which is kind of surprising. I was like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> but Liverpool, they historically have not been a team that usually slows down at the, at the end of games. Usually they, they keep going the whole game or at least turn up in the last 10 minutes because like I feel like it's a slight trend where all the players have a lot more stamina than other teams. Like, I don't know who what they do over there, but I just feel like they can just keep running the whole game. And usually that's like one of their main party tricks, one of like their things they keep in the back pocket, whereas they can just outlast players. And I feel like that's like a key thing in just regular rec leagues and things like that too. It's like the best players I feel like are the ones who are the like the most have the most stamina it's like the player who like dies after 20 minutes and just lays on the floor it's like (laughs) it's like what can you do in the 70th minute so that you know liverpool on top of that you know have some of the best players in the world obviously but it's just on top of that they have some of the best stamina too and i feel like liverpool just ran out of gas like brian surprisingly i'm not gonna lie i was very surprised that brian just kind of went on from that cross shot and just like took that to their advantage and got the 2-2 the mm-hmm. Liverpool being at home too. I was like, what is going on? This is like literally last season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, in fact, Brighton who was, like, as you mentioned, ending that home streak. So maybe it's something about him. Maybe it's that Southern England, you know, 
coastal air kind of brought them up to like the northwest and then just they went to town with it i don't know it's just something different with brian graham potter i'm still a little iffy about him <laughs> I'm, I'm still iffy i'm just i don't know he just can't win it for me because like liverpool are just so dominant for like most of the game and then all of a sudden then brian just kind of turned up for like a the, after that initial accidental goal but you know for Liverpool, they, they did bounce back in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid. Yeah. So it's not like a concerning thing. And, you know, over the weekend, Man City did also lose to Crystal Palace. So on the yeah. table wise, but Chelsea only won. Liverpool's, which is the- Chelsea unfortunately won against uh, a questionable Newcastle side, which <laughs> <laughs> still has a lot more to do. But for Liverpool, they're only three points behind the top spot. And, you know, of course, all the other teams kind of slipped. They're also in that title race. So, like, it's not the end of the world, but, you know, this is not the consistency that you wish to see. You know, Liverpool, ideally, you want to win every single game and then draw a few here and there. But ideally, you don't draw to like a Brighton. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> you, you draw against, you know, like other title contenders. But I guess Brian this season has been kind of a surprise team. But I think Liverpool, this is just like a slight trip like a slight hiccup and I think they'll be back on it. I don't think it's too much to worry about. Cause like, if you see, like as you saw in the champions league as well, like Salah's still on fire. The rest of the team is yeah, still Mane, fired Jota. up. Like Mane and Jolta were still going off. They both scored uh, this past week as well in the champions league. So yeah. And the defense was still pretty sound, like setting sound. Yeah. So I think it was just like a slight blunder, but I give credit to Brighton. They definitely surprised. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. <laughs> Is <laughs> I think I saw some comments when I was um I covered I think I didn't cover this game, but when I was looking through like some old comments and stuff, people were saying that Henderson was a little sus um in the midfield. Do you think that he is kind of losing some of his powers in the midfield? Henderson has always been one of those players that gets a lot of criticism because obviously since he's the captain, he <laughs> has to be he has to prove himself and yeah. shows like, all right, why are you the captain when Gerard was the captain before? And yeah. you can list all the other captains that Liverpool have had for generations going back. And they're always like the greatest players. But the main criticism for Jordan Henderson is like he's a player who is not the best technically or like statistically he's not really the best either. And like sometimes he's a little bit more passive and conservative. Like he, he before was very wary about doing a forward pass who's very much like a sideways passer <laughs> where it's just like can you please move the team up like why are we just <laughs> sitting in the midfield just going sideways basically is what was going on and he's gotten a little better getting that Gerard-esque pass, long pass you know unlocking Salah Mane and Jota up front and you know we've seen snippets of that still this season but at the same time you know ultimately he he was kind of birthed as like you know one of those workhorse players where it's just like he has that that engine that never stops and just runs up and down the field. Yeah. And that's basically like his main bread and butter. Like he was just like the player who works the hardest. Yeah. And like he's a, a decent passer and like he does occasionally get the good finish here and there and gets the occasional goal. But I feel like that was him. Like since we first got him from Sunderland, he was just the player that was really like hardworking and just played the whole 90 minutes. Well, granted, now he's a little older and he gets injured a lot more regularly. <laughs> So he can't really last as long in, in game, but, but he does he's score the, the every every banger goal every now and again. Yeah, he does score the banger. He scores like the finesse shot from outside the box or like the yeah. one touch volley. So 
I feel like he took that from Gerard. <laughs> like those kind of finishes <laughs> were were insane. But you know, Jordan he's still Henderson, solid, I always say, yeah, I feel like he's still solid. Like I think, I think this the expectations of him being captain is just what kind of swallows him and kind of gives him a lot of grief. But as who he who he is and what you should think of him and like what kind of the type of player he is. I still think he's all right. And like, you know, he has his limitations and that's the thing that's always kind of hindered him. You know, he's not the fastest. He's not the most skillful. He's not going to beat a player on the dribble, (laughs) but, and like, sometimes he has some weird decisions, but you know, uh, I think for, if you kind of remember who he was and what kind of player he's, he's kind of meant to be in terms of like his prototype or like his archetype, then you'd be like, all right, he's solid. <laughs> he's still a captain too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he's doing something right. Yeah. But I still think, uh, yeah, there's that one thing about him too. It's just like, he needs that kind of clutch gene that Gerard had, where it's just like, he kind of fires up the rest of the team to kind of make that comeback. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that clutch gene isn't there. And they kind of yeah. show in this game where it's like the ability to fire up the rest of the team to kind of lead from example, even though he scored this game, but, you know, kind of get that third goal, maybe himself to get Liverpool like a 3-2 win instead of ending it 2-2. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's just me. I still think yeah. he's a good he's a good player. Mm-hmm. I'd still keep him. Yeah, I just saw that comment there so I I didn't get to watch the game fully so I didn't really get to see, you know, if he made like a ton of mistakes, but just seems like from Tyler said it just seems like he's a still a solid player for Liverpool, but yeah, not yep. blip I'd blip for them, especially at Anfield to concede two at um at home, especially with the full power squad. So, very interesting drop right there, but um, another team that is really on the up and up and have we we talked about talked about them before but they're just literally performing at a really high level right now it's arsenal they went into the kp um beat leicester city 2-0 a team a leicester city that manchester united they traveled to the kp they lost 4-2 um leicester city lose to arsenal 2-0 and then the biggest stocking point was aaron ramsdale had probably the game of his life and the save of the season saved james madison's free kick um, unbelievable save right there. But his distribution was amazing. His command of like the team of, you know, basically telling the strikers to come forward to pick up the ball or commanding his defenders to move out of the way, making the big saves. He's been a really good, solid signing for Arsenal. I was very surprised to see how well Aaron Ramsdale has played this season. He's been very solid for them. It seems like almost all of their signings have turned out to be decent players, even though they were all kind of put on like a meme watch for the first two or three games. But they've all come out pretty decent. And I know we still got a long way to go, but, you know, whatever Arteta is doing is doing it right. But it it was funny, though. I I spoke to one of my Arsenal friends. He said he's still very sus about the team and still very like not very confident um, with the Arteta as a whole. But I told him, like, man, you guys are winning and it must be a fun time winning like this. And they're doing well defensively. They're keeping some clean sheets all the time. Yeah, Ramsdale proven me wrong the whole season. Yeah. Where I was I literally said at the beginning of the season, like he's not he's not at the ability to start in a Premier League team. And even like Tim Howard said the same thing in one of his analyses yeah. in like post game matches. Like this is such a huge undertaking to like spend so much money on like a backup keeper. And then sure enough, like Ramsdale out of nowhere, I guess he took all the the messages from the haters is like, all right, I'm going to use it to fuel myself. It's crazy. Now he's becoming like a top five keeper in the Premier League, at least as of this yeah. point in the season. Mm-hmm. And like since he's come in, I was going to say Arsenal are basically like in a eight to nine game unbeaten streak. 
Yeah. And he got like a team of the week this week in FIFA. It was like, mm-hmm. there you go. Like he literally <laughs> was a player that was not on the minds of like the average player, like the average viewer too. Cause I was just talking to a, a friend, our good friend Santosh and he was a Manchester United supporter. And I talked to him about Ramsdale. He's like, who's Ramsdale? Like, who is, <laughs> who's this guy? All I know is that on, you know, social media is that he made some insane save that Peter Schmeichel kind of uh, highlighted. And I was like, yeah, he's just one of those players that wasn't really too hot when he was on those relegation teams like Sheffield United or Bournemouth. And they got brought to Arsenal. Now he's just turning up. And it's mm-hmm. like, what's what's so good about him? It's like, basically, it's just distribution. It's just this season, he just is like a firecracker has gone off inside him. Yeah. Where he's just making some insane saves. He's just playing bigger than he is in terms of like just physically. And then like he's just showing up. And that's basically how you can kind of really describe a keeper. It's just the keepers that can just look like no team can score on them. And that's yeah. Ramsdale right now. It's just mm-hmm. like, you can't really explain it. He's just, <laughs> he's just blocking good. everything. Yeah. He's just too good. And I feel like that is empowering the rest of Arsenal to do so well because, you know, at the beginning of the season, we talked about like, is Arteta going to last the whole season? He's basically <laughs> not going to make it to like October at this point. Yeah. And then sure enough, he's just turned around so fast, so dramatically. And mm-hmm. it, I feel like Aaron Ramsdale has been a key part. And I don't know, maybe, you know, it's like a fantasy football kind of tactic. You know, you bomb the first half of your season, get all the good waivers. <laughs> and then <laughs> Ramsdale is that equivalent where he just kind of saves the season. And, you know, I would kind of, I don't want to say too soon because, you know, we it's, it's very easy to hop on the bandwagon. It's like, oh, they're going to definitely re- reach Europa League now. Things like that. And, you know, Leicester has been on a slight decline. But like Arsenal, they look so strong in this game against Leicester. Like, Leicester looks like they weren't even ready. (laughs) They're at home, but Arsenal were just basically on top of it. It looks like, you know, if if a a chance didn't happen or, like, a shot was blocked, it's like Leicester players just switched off. But then, like, Arsenal players just always on it. Like, that second goal from Emil Smith-Rowe was just because he was just the one who was the most alert, and he just got to it before the Leicester players can turn around. Mm -hmm. But this Arsenal side, it's like something something about them is different. Like on top of Ramsdale just turning up, it just feels like the whole aura, the whole culture and something about this Arsenal side is just they feel a lot more tuned in and focused compared to the beginning of the season where it's just like, all right, all hope is lost. Yeah, they definitely had a very tough opening set of games. You know, you had Brentford, the newly promoted Brentford, then you go to Chelsea, then you have to play Man City. It it was tough. But I think, you know, they've kind of benefited from having a little bit of an you know, in terms of the teams they face, a little bit of an easier stretch. I know they had the North London Derby, but, you know, kudos to them for taking advantage of it. But, you know, that's kind of the big thing. Like, we saw how in the beginning of the season, how bad they look, and now they're in a good stretch of form. Can they continue this? Because that's been the biggest question mark for Arsenal these past couple of seasons is that they occasionally have these nice, nice little runs of form, but then occasionally they kind of slip back into the old patterns of mistakes and, you know, kind of the toxicity that's fueled the club. So I'm going to be curious to see if they can keep this up. I, I think they can. I, I think they're just a really well-coached side and they've got players that can kind of play the Arteta way that the way he wants to play, you know, controlling the game with possession, playing out the back, you know, being confident that way. So I think they got the players to do it. Um, it's, it's just going to be up to the management and the players to just kind of keep doing this and keep the keep the good vibes rolling and keep it keep it going. But, you know, Arsenal, they're they're doing well right now. Two two nil win against the Leicester City side. That's impressive. That's good. I will say, yeah, I will say too. It's just it's hard to keep a streak, whether it be winning or losing. Yeah. And you know, at the beginning of the season, it was 
basically Arsenal losing everything. Yeah. But I feel like it was that slap in the face, that 5-0, like literally, you know, full hand to the face from Man City that kind of woke him up. And I feel like sometimes it does take a big loss like that to kind of show them. It's like, all right, we got to like turn on. We can't just be getting embarrassed every week. We got to show like who we really are. And like yeah. since then, they kind of ran with it as mm-hmm. if like, you know, something's been on fire for them. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, this is a streak. They've been unbeaten for a while. So it's like when they eventually do lose, which I don't feel like would be too far from now because like, it, you know, it happens. Will they be able to like rebound and like continue mm-hmm. on with this kind of form? Because that's the big question as well. It's like, yeah, the whole season is a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. And that's usually something you, we kind of mention. How do you respond to the L's that you will take eventually in the season? Because everyone, yeah. every team, every team gets them unless you're the vin- invincibles of Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> unless you're the invincibles, but you know, this season, <laughs> Arsenal definitely ain't the invincibles. So yeah. we'll see how they can respond. Yeah. But so, right now they're in, they're in some golden era right now. Mm-hmm. So we have to see what eventually does happen. But yeah. But we'll go from oh, that. Yeah, overall they're doing they're doing well, but wanted to move on to I guess last section, the preview section here. Um we've got actually a really good slate of games. A decent amount of a you know, quality Premier League opposition, good Premier League games here. But the first one we have Everton versus Spurs. It is uh it's gonna be an interesting one. Antonio Conte's first Premier League game back with uh um, Tottenham. Obviously, we just mentioned he had the Europa Conference League game. But this is his first Premier League game, and he's going up against Rafa Benitez, a former—I would say—he's probably a Premier League legend, ma- legendary manager. Um, trophies he won with Liverpool, what he did with Newcastle, and then obviously where he's trying to take Everton. This will be interesting. Goodison Park is not an easy place to play. Um, I would say Rafa Benitez has done a good job of getting the most out of this Everton squad. Antonio Conte will want to go in there. He will want to get a win. Um, it's going to be tough, but I, I think this game might actually just end up becoming a 1-1 draw. Um, even though I know Conte is going to want to win this game, I feel like Rafa Benitez knows what he's dealing with, and he's a good enough manager to set his team up to not lose. So I feel like it's going to be a 1-1. Hmm. For me, it's it's a it's a big match because both in the table is 9 versus 10. Mm. So with Spurs being the ninth place team. And... Well, Rafa Benitez, he's lost his last three. And they're not <laughs> great losses. His losses to Watford, 5-2, Wolves, and West Ham. West Ham, I feel like, is probably like the most respectable loss. But that Watford loss is kind of still hitting them. And they're on like a loss streak. And, you know, as I just literally mentioned, it's hard to keep streaks, even lost streaks. But for Antonio Conte, this is a little different. This is like his, his way of setting himself back in the league. It's, he's got to prove himself to be like, all right, this is why I'm here. And this is the tone I'm going to set. And I feel like if he were to come in and not get a draw and not get a loss, like, what am I saying? If he gets, if he doesn't get anything <laughs> other than a win, then he's going to be pretty upset. And it, it kind of sets like a different tone. It's like, all right, well, Spurs are going to be mediocre again. <laughs> but I feel like with his kind of, you know, propensity to get fired up and fire up his team, I feel like they could get a 2 1 especially since Everton's form is not the best. They don't really have too much momentum right now. And, you know, Spurs do have a little bit of momentum with that new manager boost, as we like to say. So I think it'll be mm-hmm. a 2-1 to Antonio Conte's Tottenham. Dang. I'm going 1-1. I was going 2-1 Antonio Conte. So we'll see what uh, what happens there. And then we got West Ham versus Liverpool. A big one because West Ham are 
I'm um, actually in fourth place right now, currently in the Premier League table. So they're doing really well. Liverpool, obviously, still gunning for keeping up with Chelsea with the title challenge. This is going to be tough. Um, West Ham are playing really good stuff. Declan Rice has almost been like one of the best midfielders in the Premier League right now. He's just been bossing it in the central defensive midfielder position. But Liverpool, you know, they're a re- like there's a reason like they're European, you know, Champions League favorites. They're Premier League favorites. They have quality people on their squad. They have a quality manager. They know how to, you know, they know how to deal with high pressure situations. They know how to deal with them. They've dealt with them before. So that's why I think Liverpool, even though it's going to be a tough atmosphere, I think they can go in and win 2-0 um, against West Ham. This game, you know, a lot. I, I, we don't really have any West Ham fan, fans that are <laughs> friends, really. So, yeah. you know, we never really talk about West Ham. And, you know, last week I kind of mentioned is like we probably get roasted for never mentioning Brighton was in the top half of the table. We're in like that top six for like the most of the beginning of the season. But West Ham, they're fourth right now. And like we really they've been kind of the dark horse for the past several seasons or not several seasons, but like, you know, past two seasons where it's like, oh, under David Moyes now. And back in the days of Messi, Messalino, you know, Lingardino <laughs> over there. Yeah. You know, West Ham were gunning for a potential title race. But since then, they ju- they've been kind of settling in in that fifth, sixth position you know going for Europa League and they're doing pretty well in the Europa League actually yeah but this season especially even without Lingard they've still been doing pretty well you know obviously fourth place is more than pretty well but Declan Rice has been the key talk of why this team has been doing so hot so for Liverpool they're coming off like a decent Atletico Madrid win and I feel like Atletico is better than West Ham and they did Mm -hmm rest certain players like Robertson and Firmino did start this game so or he he got subbed on and they got subbed off (laughs) (laughs) but you know I think Liverpool are also going to be pretty well rested for at least certain amount of players so I don't think it would be too much in terms of like a stamina issue West Ham are at home which is a slight it's 50-50 you never know if the fans are going to turn against them or not (laughs) but I think Liverpool they're going to bounce back from that Brighton draw and be like, all right, we can't be slipping anymore. And they'll win. West Ham usually don't concede more than two goals either. So I'm going to say a 2-1 as well. Another 2-1. Okay, I'm going 2-0 Liverpool. So you're going 2-1 Liverpool there. And then finally, we got the big one, the Manchester Derby. Um, Saturday morning, it's going to be played at, um, at Old Trafford. It's another big game for Manchester United in the Premier League when it comes to being at home. Obviously, the last time they were at home, they got thrashed by Liverpool 5-0. They are playing a Man City side that have been so-so. They kind of got rocked a little bit last weekend in the Premier League, but they bounced back in the Champions League. We obviously know the type of side they play, the type of quality they have, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has gotten under the skin of Pep Guardiola a couple of times, being um, whenever they faced, and it seems like Solskjaer kind of knows a plan to kind of get the most out of his players to beat City. But this game is going to be really interesting. I don't know what's going to happen if I'm being totally honest, my gut is telling me that United might lose this game. Um, so that's, unfortunately, I really want them to win, but I just think that the way and how open they can be at times this season is just very worrying. Um, and also the fact that we don't know who is going to be fit at center back for us. Um, the defense has kind of been shaky all season, and so is the midfield. So I think that if we're not careful... At worst, I feel like if we're not careful, I feel like City might come in and slice us 3-1 for a City win. But at, 
Um, I want to I want to root for United win, but I honestly I think this game might end up being a two one and City take the take the W going into Old Trafford. I think they end up beating Manchester United, even though it hurts me to say it. I I just I don't know for the life of me I just don't know how Manchester United could beat City because we just have not played like a good team in a while this season. If you think about it though, Crystal Palace beat Man City two nil last week. Yeah, so. Anything can happen. I feel like <laughs> when's the last time you heard Manchester United lose at home twice in a row to their main rivals, Liverpool, and then to Man City? Like in history, it's probably very rare, if not yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, you know, Solskjaer wants to have that history <laughs> or have that achievement in the history I mean, books. He's under had his some name pretty like either. bad history come against him. <laughs> this man's so. setting records for the wrong reason. But. I feel like with Ronaldo, like he does turn up in big games. He's one of those big game players. Like there's certain players I do can I do know that's like, you know, in big games they do kind of shut down. Like I can't think of a soccer owner now, but like I know like Kirk Cousins <laughs> for the Vikings. <laughs> the Vikings, gosh dang. Yeah. But for Manchester United, they do have some big game players. So Man City as well, you usually don't see them lose big games either. <laughs> which is the ironic part unless it's a final but uh against like Chelsea but um for this it's it's hard i i want to say a draw but this is too big of a game to have a draw <laughs> it's it's got to be a 2-0 to one or the other and like historically yeah. it's been very even across the board at least recently in the modern era mm-hmm. where it's like <sighs> you know what yes you said man city's going to win i'm going to say I'm going to say your team, man, you win 2-0. Oh, man, that's that's good to hear. I'm glad that you have some confidence in us because right now my confidence is very shaky. It's not very confident right now. I just feel like this game is just so up in the air. It's like it could go either way. Yeah, I mean, I, that's how I feel too. I just don't know what United team is going to show up, and that's the problem. Like you might have yeah. a good United that show up <laughs> and, you know, play like up to the quality of like who they are but then you could also get bad united where they get sliced open five nil so it's literally up to united <laughs> what the result <laughs> is not it's not man city at all it's just yeah what did man you do so yeah i, and I feel like for no. Solskjaer's sake you know if he does get thrashed again that's a really damaging look for his you know case to be the manager beyond this season for sure because you know, like you said, you cannot have your biggest rivals come in in back-to-back games to Old Trafford and, you know, you get thrashed in those back-to-back games. It's not a good look. But I don't know. I hope I hope what you said comes true. I hope it's a 2-0 victory for Manchester United. But right now, for the life of me, just how unconfident this side has, just like the lack of confidence they've put, put in me all season, especially this past couple of weeks, it just, you know, just has me questioning a lot of things. But... I don't know. We'll we'll see what ends up happening. I I hope they end up winning the Manchester Derby, but you know, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, that kind of wraps up season four, episode one thirty of us, uh, episode one thirty for us. As we always say, you can follow us on social media at the Premier Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also catch the video versions of the podcast at on YouTube uh, called at the Premier Pod. 
you can subscribe to us there. Um, as we always say, you can leave us any questions or any topics that you would like us to, to discuss on our social media pages. And if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, um, feel free to leave us a rating or review. It helps us get noticed. But if you don't, that's totally fine. Sharing this podcast with someone else or just simply taking the time to listen to it is all that all that we care about. And you know, we're glad that you take the time to listen to us every week um, and just chat about the Premier League. So thank you guys once again for listening and supporting the show. We do appreciate it. Thank you guys. We'll see you guys next week. That wraps up, that wraps up season four, episode 130 for us. Peace. Peace. <laughs>